At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Thank you so much, Lorino. It's always nice to have the Italian dream team up here. <laughs> Messina and Escafani. So it is wonderful to be here. As uh, interim campus pastor, it has been my joy, now going into our sixth month, to be here to just get to know you folks. A lot of what I've been doing has all been behind the scenes. It's been leading staff, it's staff meetings, attending a lot of meetings with uh, our other campus pastors, shepherding, doing some counseling, and uh, it's all the things that everybody who always asks the question is, so you only work on Sunday, right? <laughs> it is my joy, my privilege to be here to speak today. This, when I found out I was gonna be able to speak on this Sunday, Closing out our series in Romans, it is a joy and a privilege because this is one of those passages that in some ways is really easy preaching. I mean, it is all good stuff. And we are going to be digging into uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 in, in just a few minutes. But prior to doing that, I want to share just kind of a review of our study of Romans that we began back in September and to help us put that all together, I want to use an illustration. Okay, so you're going to have to use your imagination. I don't have any visuals for this. You have a wonderful visual machine in your brain. It's called a brain. So here's what we're going to do, okay? Over here on my right, imagine a really big circle, really large circle. At the center of that circle is God. That's circle represents God's story from Genesis to Revelation, okay? God's stories over here. Over here is a much smaller circle, and you can put your initials in there because this is our story, okay? Now, what's interesting is that in God's big story, in the beginning, we were part of God's story. We were, God created a beautiful environment of beauty and design and order and peace. And then he put Adam and Eve in that environment, two perfect people. And scripture says that everything was really good. But then that's chapters one and two of Genesis. But then we get to chapter three and we find out that sin enters the picture. And sin literally affected everything. When we talk about sin, when we talk about how sin has affected everything, Paul in Romans in our study has declared that. It's not only affected our personal relationship with our Heavenly Father, which has caused separation, but it causes separation between us as people, as husbands and wives and friends and everything else. That sin has even affected the very creation. And so when we think of God's big picture story. The theme of his story is redemption. That's God's purpose 
is redemption. And God is the main character of that story. Over here, our smaller story. This is everything that's ever happened to us. This is the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that happened as we were growing up, the things and choices we make as individuals throughout our lifetime. And what we find out as we began in Romans chapter 5 through chapter 7 is that we find out that in our little story, we are trying to get back into fellowship with God. The problem is we're trying to do it all our own way. Our own works, our own righteousness, our own efforts. And Paul is sharing with us in these chapters, chapters 5 through 7, that that won't work. It just doesn't work. No matter how zealous we are, no matter how sincere we are, no matter how kind we are, no matter how moral we are. Paul tells us we all fall short of the glory of God. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. So here's the present circumstances. Number one, God's story is over here. God is working his plan through the ages. His plan is redemption. Why? Because what was lost in Genesis chapter 3, God is working through the ages to accomplish in the book of Revelation, where he restores all that was taken away and affected by sin. That's the good news, okay? But over here is our little story. And Romans chapters 5 through 7 share not only how we are trying in our own efforts, but what God has done in spite of our efforts. I think one of the amazing verses is in the end of chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. Paul is talking about the reality of life. And he says, I know in my head there are good things to do. And in my heart, I want to desire to do those good things. But I find in my heart and my mind a law or a principle that the things I want to do, those aren't the things I'm doing. And the things that I really don't want to do, those are the things that I'm doing. You ever been there? Man, it's frustrating. Talk about anxiety and stress. We want to do the right thing, but we're unable to do it. It's so frustrating that in verse 24 of chapter 7, Paul shouts out, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? You ever been there? Yeah. I think we have. I think there are times and frustrations and trials and tribulations that have come into our life. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational. And, and we try and we work and we manage. See, the problem is in our own little life over here, we become self-protective. That is what took place in the garden when sin came into our lives. Prior to that, Adam and Eve, God was the protector of their hearts. Now, we're the protector of our hearts. And when we become the protector of our hearts, 
even in relationship to God, we work out of fear. And fear always leads to control and manipulation. And what we find in our little story over here is that in order to avoid being hurt by people, circumstances, places, or things, maybe even God, we manage life. We try to manage our sin. And these are all the efforts that Paul talks about in Romans 5 through 7 to the point where Paul says, who will deliver me? That's the bad news. What's the good news? Verse 25, thanks be to our Father for Jesus Christ our Lord. Who makes the difference? Jesus does. Now, I'm not telling you anything new, okay? I'm really not telling you anything new. You know this. But in this chapter and this portion of Scripture that we're going to get into this morning, all the way up through what our brother Dave Varga shared with us last week, that's the work, both our self-works and the work of God bringing us together. Why? Because God's desire is that our little life over here would be brought back into conjunction with his greater story. And you see, God doesn't want us to just sit around and think about what's going to happen in the future. Those are promises. We count on that. That's where our hope comes from. He actually invites us to be participants in the story of redemption. And the only way that takes place is through what Jesus Christ has done for us and our personal relationship with him. Now, for all of you who are not Michigan, University of Michigan fans, just go with me, okay? We had our family Thanksgiving dinner yesterday. All of our kids, all of our grandkids were there, had a great time. Of course, big screen, you know, University of Michigan up on the screen. And, and the game was a good game. It was interesting. You know, there's some highs, some lows, all that kind of thing. You know what caught my attention? The end, after the game. What was after the game? The celebration. Thousands and thousands of people, probably mostly students, on the playing field covering the entire stadium. And yet even with all the people in the seats, it still looked like a full stadium. And what were they doing for the next half hour, 45 minutes? They were celebrating. They're jumping up and down. Yeah, we're number one, all this kind of stuff. We do have a few campus pastors that are non-University of Michigan fans. And there was quite a thread going back and forth yesterday, uh, initiated by Pastor Chris. And of course, uh, Pastor Chris is a Michigan State fan. Okay, we got some here. All right. And his comment was, of course you guys realized that if U of M wins, it's because we tired them out last week. Well, I'm not so sure about that. But the thing that caught my eye was the celebration. And here's where we start in our passage today. Everything up to verse 31 
talks about where we were, talks about the God's story of redemption and how through Jesus Christ we become part of that story, active participants in the story of redemption. And then in beginning in verse 31, Paul starts out. This is a celebratory passage. This is the kind of passage that demands a response. And we're going to get to that. But he begins with a question. What do you say to all this? If all of this stuff that we have been looking at and studying since September is true and it's real, and it is, what do you say to that? Other than amen and hallelujah. <laughs> because it all depends on Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, open with me, please. To Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. The title of our message today is The Triumph of God's Love. And the big idea that we want to communicate through this passage is that we conquer by the God who loves us. We conquer by the God who loves us. And it's interesting because Paul is going to take us through this, these verses and he's going to have three primary rhetorical questions. Okay, rhetorical question. In other words, it means there's an assumed answer. And can I give you a sneak peek? The answer is no one. All right, you got that? Tuck that away. No one. Three questions, rhetorical questions, are going to be asked, aiming us back to everything Paul has taught us to this point through the Holy Spirit and sharing with us the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. I mentioned that uh, Paul asked that horrible question, who's going to deliver me? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Well, in chapter 8, as we've been studying over these last five weeks, here are the blessings of knowing Jesus Christ. Number one, there is no condemnation. Chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation. What does that mean? Well, think of it this way, because we're going to be talking in the second question about a courtroom scene. But this is a little peek at that. No condemnation means that Jesus Christ bore our sin to the cross of Calvary. God judged our sin in Jesus Christ, who died for us. And so now there's no condemnation. What does that mean? It means this, that God is never going to take the sins of our lives that he's already forgiven, dig them up, and throw them in our face again. That's condemnation. God's never going to do that. Scripture gives us several metaphors throughout Scripture. One is that he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. For those of you that are engineers and scientists, why didn't he use north and south? You got it? If you go north far enough, you eventually go south. And if you go south far enough, you eventually go north. But if I go east, whatever east is here, if I go east, I will never go west. I will always be going east. If I go west, I will always be going west. That's how far away God has removed our sins. Another metaphor is he's buried them in the depths of the deepest sea. Now, you're theologically trained, 
and you understand the fact that God is omniscient, so God can't forget, right? It's not that God forgets our sin. It's that he willingly, willingly will never reach down, pull up our past sins, and throw them in our face again. That's what no condemnation means. Now, who does condemn us? Satan condemns us. You and I experience that all the time, don't we? Because the reality is, is that he picks up every sin that we've done, he throws it in our face, and he uses it to plant seeds of doubt on our relationship with our Savior and our Heavenly Father. Didn't you just do that? Isn't this like the third time you've prayed, you know, for the Lord to forgive you for that sin? How many times are you going to do that? You really think God has the power to save you? You really think God has the ability to keep you from sinning? You really think this thing about Jesus dying for your sin is true? I mean, how many times is he going to forgive you? That's condemnation. Where Satan literally picks up our sin and throws it in our face. For the purpose of casting doubt. Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But even beyond the verdict of guilty and the fact that we are now righteous through Jesus Christ, the other benefit we have in verses 7 through 10, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit unto life, not death. Remember the little circle over here? Our lives, our story, apart from God, always leads to death. But when our story becomes part of God's redemptive story, we have the Holy Spirit who always leads us to life. Third, we are part of God's family. We are joint heirs with Christ, verses 12 through 17. We have a relationship now that goes beyond our efforts and has brought us truly in the into the family of God. And then beyond that, we have a future glory and have been invited to be active participants in God's redemptive story of all creation. Verses 18 through 28. All things are working together for our godliness and ultimately for his glory. And God is bringing us along as part of that redemptive story. And then, verses 28 through 30, we know that God will finish his work of redemption and glory in us as well as the creation. That's the work of God. Question is, have you experienced that? Have you experienced that relationship with Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and these blessings? If you're here this morning and you have, praise God. If you're here this morning and you're not quite sure, we would love to be able to share the reality of it. But here we are in Romans chapter 8. Let me begin reading. Follow, please, if you would. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, 
or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. The first rhetorical question that we read in these two verses is, who can be against us? And the answer is, convincingly, no one, no one can be against us. Schreiner, in his commentary on Romans, writes it this way. Since God is for us, no one can successfully oppose us. The evidence of God being for us is supremely manifested in the giving of his Son. And now that he has given us the greatest gift, his Son, he will surely give us everything, every gift that we need. In verses 33 to 39, Paul fleshes out what it means to say that God is for us. Do you believe that? I know you do hear, but do you hear? There are tough things that we go through in life. There are tough things that we face, kinds of tribulations, things that we have no control over. Then there are the things we do. And we wonder, really, God? We ask the natural questions, why me? Why now? And we doubt the love of our Heavenly Father. And what we fail to realize is that God turned the greatest tragedy possible into salvation and glory. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse. And Paul is saying, God has already given us the greatest gift he could ever give us in his son, Jesus Christ. And yet in our humanness, there are times when we question God's ability to save us from our addictions or to fix broken relationships or to look on us in love because we think we've gone too far. We think we've crossed the line. We're beyond his love and forgiveness. And yet, Scripture tells us over and over again, he loves us. How do we know? The empty tomb. The empty tomb. We serve a risen Savior, not just a Savior who died on the cross in our place for our sins, and who was buried in the ground, but one whom God has raised again to new life. Why? Because God's story and his theme is what? Redemption. Redemption of our souls, redemption of our bodies, redemption of all creation. Why? Because of Jesus. 
The second reason we can always hold on to hope is the extent to which God has gone to love us. In verse 32, Paul reasons from the smaller thing to the larger thing when he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously give us all things? Let me use a personal illustration that I hope some of you can relate to. I'm a classic car guy. I like cars. My dad and I have always worked on our own cars, and uh, the Lord has blessed me with a, a classic car. And uh, I know that there are some of you guys and gals out there who are car enthusiasts. I know Dave Varga and I have talked several times about cars. And the reality is, let's use that as an illustration. Now, imagine the car of your dream. You ready? Is it in your mind? You start scrimping and saving all of your life. You're eating beans and rice for meals. You're, you're taking a second mortgage on your house. You're cashing in your 401k. You're, you're, by the way, which are all really bad ideas. Okay? They're really bad ideas. But it makes the point. You are giving up everything in order to achieve this goal. Now, it comes true. Here, standing in your driveway, is your ideal, your dream car. Except there's one problem. You have to pay a $100 registration, transfer of registration fee. Is that going to be an issue? Believe me, you'll find the $100 somewhere. You'll pawn off some of your wife's jewelry. Maybe you'll, you know, break your kid's piggy bank or something. But you'll find the $100. Now, it's kind of a ridiculous illustration, but Paul's making the point. If God, our Heavenly Father, has already given us His only Son to die upon the cross in our place, He who was the sinless Lamb of God, who shed His blood, whose mother was watching Him, His earthly mother watching Him through all this tragedy, the shame, the ridicule, everything. Why? For you and me. If God has already given us his son, Paul's argument is, don't you think he's going to do the rest? This is an appropriate place for an amen. <laughs> think about that. Don't you ask yourself sometimes in the struggles and suffering of life, what more can God do? What more can God do? God can't do any more. He's done everything through Jesus Christ. That's Paul's argument. That's why he says no one can be against us. Why? Because God is already for us. That's how we need to think about God's love. When we find ourselves doubting the power of our Heavenly Father, the ability of our Heavenly Father, we need to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the gift that he was by the Father. The second question that he asks is, who will bring, against us, uh, who will bring a charge against us? Verses 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Is it who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who raised, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding us. Just quickly, this is a courtroom scene. And imagine yourself now sitting at the table. You're the one being tried. And everybody and everything you've ever done wrong comes up, testifies against you. That's scary. Every word you've ever said, every thought you've ever thought, every action you've ever taken. And the prosecutor finishes his argument. The judge declares his verdict, guilty. But our paraclete, the one called alongside us, Jesus Christ, comes up to the judge and he says, my client is guilty, but I have paid his penalty for his sin. That's the argument that Paul's bringing here. And again, if any charge against us because of our sinful actions or things that we've chosen to do throughout our life, if all of that pronounces the judgment of guilty, and yet Jesus Christ has taken our guilt, God declares us free. He declares us justified. Why? Because of Christ, not me, not you, but because of Jesus. And that's why nobody can bring a charge against us. Why? Because God himself, the ultimate judge, has declared us forgiven and free. The last question, who shall separate us from Christ's love? Let me hear. No one. No one. And nothing. nothing. There you go. Somebody looked at my notes. No one and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Let me read that passage and, and get ready to do a little jumping, okay? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! Amen! Nothing can separate us. Nobody can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even yourself. This is the point yesterday where you've got thousands in the stadium. They're jumping up and down. This is our victory call. As a matter of fact, Paul uses the fact that we are more than conquerors. And he uses a unique um, verb there where it talks about super victors. We're not just victors, we're super victors. <laughs> wow. We are more than conquerors. 
And yet, I love the way Paul, in his passage here, makes that statement, we are more than conquerors, nothing can separate us. Then he quotes from Psalm 44. And when you read through it, you think, Paul, why'd you do that? That just kind of took like the energy out of your statement. We're like lambs, ready to be slaughtered every day? That's because Paul's a realist. And he realizes, and please understand this, that by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the reality is we are still going to suffer in this world. We are still going to face tribulation. We are still going to face trials. We may still face financial, physical maladies in our lives. Why? Because we live in a broken and a sinful world. And we're still part of that. But then he goes back and he says, no, we're more than conquerors. And nothing, nothing can separate us. I don't know where your heart is this morning, where your spirit is this morning. I'm hoping you're rejoicing in Jesus Christ. I'm hoping you're rejoicing as a super victor, a more than a conqueror in your life, even in spite of the trials, the tribulations, the illnesses that you're experiencing. But if you're here today and you don't know for sure, or you know for sure that you're not, I would love to be able to sit down with you. Lorino, a number of our elders and deacons would be able to show you from the Word of God how you can know for certain your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. If you don't remember any other word that I've shared with you today, remember that. When you get up and have to go back to work tomorrow morning, and you face the challenges of whether you work from home, work from work, mandates, and anything else you face, think of this. Nothing separates me from the love of Christ Jesus. Think of that. Okay. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.